Thank you, Troy. It is such a joy to be here. I've been looking forward to it all week. I've been looking forward to it for three weeks. <laughs> Let me just pray before we start. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, today we're going to talk about your mind and how we can gain the way that you think for ourselves. We can begin to look at life, understand worship, understand how to live by thinking your thoughts. So I pray that now as we begin uh, this time together that you'll come and inhabit us and speak to us through your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the last couple of weeks we've talked about Jesus a lot. The first week we talked about him as creator because we wanted to pull together the New Testament Jesus with the Old Testament books that he relied upon <clears throat> for his identity and uh, to inform his mind. So we talked about him as creator, and then last week we talked about um, how the Old Testament did two things for Jesus. It taught him righteousness, taught him how to live a righteous life, and how to please the Father. And it taught him who he was and who, what his mission in life was. So we talked about that last week. And if you look in your bulletin this morning, you'll see um, we have some verses that speak to that. This is how the mind of Jesus was shaped he would have read these words and taken them to heart. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. <clears throat> and then again, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young person keep their way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. <clears throat> I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I feel like that's a key to understanding how Jesus lived such a perfect life. He, had, he knew the word and he lived by it. <clears throat> and then we have one more passage to look at here in the bulletin, 1 Corinthians 2.16. These are the words of Paul, the apostle. We're going to talk about him a bit this morning. He says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul wrote these words a few years into his experience, maybe many years into his experience as a follower of Jesus, and he had discovered that he had acquired the mind of Christ. So we're going to talk about how that happened this morning. I don't know if you've ever known somebody who seemed to have been born for greatness. Um, Bern and I had uh, knew a man in the Navigators, which is a Christian organization that we were part of when we were young. Um, his name was Donald McGilchrist, and he was born in England in 1937, and then that was right before World War II. And so his father moved their family to Scotland to get away from war-torn England during World War II, so um, Donald grew up in Scotland. He was one of these people who was brilliant from birth and uh, soon found himself at Oxford, where he had a triple major. He graduated with honors in a triple major in politics, philosophy, and economics. I mean, this guy's future was assured, wouldn't you think? <laughs> Shortly after he graduated, he went to work for a large cigarette company and was doing very well there until his conscience um, spoke to him about the idea of selling cigarettes. He didn't agree that that was a good way to spend his time. So he left that company, went to work for the British Railway. While he was working for the British Railway, he was still quite a young man. He was given the task of organizing the entire scheduling system for the British Rail. 
which that country really depends on the British Rail. <laughs> and he did it brilliantly. Later he said that he had done it in partnership with God. But that made him a candidate to become the, the director of the entire British Rail system. And I don't even think he was 30 years old yet when they were talking about that. But he considered and decided not to do that because he had a wife and two young girls at home and he didn't want his life to be consumed by his work. So he backed away from that. While he was at Oxford, he had met someone who introduced him to Christ, a fellow in the Navigators by the name of George Sanchez. And uh, George had led him to Christ, and uh, Donald immediately saw that this was going to be the most important thing in his life. George was part of the Navigators, so Donald became part of the Navigators organization in Great Britain. And eventually, uh, the Navigators in Great Britain graciously sent him to the United States, where he went to work at the Navigator headquarters in Colorado Springs. Um, he became an international administrator. He was basically doing everything that the president of the Navigators needed to have done internationally. Um, his reputation was that he was, he was often far above in talent and understanding the people he was serving. But he served three uh, presidents of the Navigators. The last time that Byrne and I saw him, a few years ago, Donald had retired. He was in his late 70s and was volunteering at Navigator headquarters, organizing the archive there of all the messages and papers and books that had been written by the Navigators. He was doing it so we would always remember our heritage. He never stopped working. He just passed away this last July, uh, yeah, July 2nd, he passed away and uh, left behind a trail of glory. <laughs> so I wanted you to know about Donald because the guy we're going to talk about next, the Apostle Paul, was one of those guys. He was born for greatness. He was uh, born into a family situation that recognized his greatness and started early in life to nurture that. He was a star on the rise, just like Donald was. He, you couldn't hold him down. So he was born in Tarsus, which is southern Turkey now, but early on in life, he was sent, during the time he would have become a rabbi or a teacher, he was sent to Jerusalem to study under the greatest rabbi there was at the time, Gamaliel. So he was born a couple of, within a couple of years of Jesus being born. So he was actually a contemporary of Jesus, but they were living very different lives. Jesus was in northern Israel, up near Galilee living in a kind of a rural area and learning to be a rabbi in the synagogues of, of Galilee. And uh, Paul was in the big time. He was sent early to Jerusalem where he was recognized and acclaimed and given responsibility. And uh, so they, the chances are they may have known of each other, but they didn't apparently ever meet each other during that time. Jesus was becoming a rabbi who was basically devoted to teaching the law, teaching the scriptures to the people, while Paul was becoming a Pharisee, which meant he not only knew the scriptures, he enforced them. And his sect of rabbis were intent on keeping religion pure in Jerusalem and in, in uh, Israel. So by the time Paul was in his late 20s, his job was to keep people from following false prophets. And there were many in Israel at that time. Many people who were claiming to be the Messiah, many people who were leading people into cultic kind of situations. And the Pharisees appointed Paul to be one of the guys to manage all of that and to stop it. 
So Paul was given um, authority to imprison people and to even bring them in to face trial where they might be put to death. <clears throat> At this point, Paul, Paul's only knowledge of Jesus was that he had formed a, a, what he would have regarded as a cult of people who were following Jesus and claiming he was the Messiah. So Paul's mind was set against Jesus. At this point, he did not have the mind of Christ. He was set against him. In fact, Paul was so um, enthusiastic or determined to carry out his, his job that he even would attend the, um, the sentencing and the death of Christians when he wasn't even necessarily called to be there. So he attended the death by stoning of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. It says that Paul was there, and people came and put their coats down at his feet, while they went and collected stones to kill Stephen, Paul watched that, and the scriptures say that he approved it. He stood and watched this good man die, a man who was brought, brought to the death sentence by trumped-up charges of blasphemy. <clears throat> so in Acts 8, <clears throat> chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 3, shortly after the story of, of Stephen's stoning, it says, there's just one verse that says, <clears throat> Paul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. <clears throat> he even had authority to go outside the borders of Israel, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and had uh, obtained papers to travel so he could go up into Syria, into Damascus, and look for Christians up there. <clears throat> it says as, as he went on his way to Damascus, he was breathing murder. He had killing on, in his mind. Whoever he ran into that was following Jesus were, was going to be threatened with death. <clears throat> now, Paul's mind gets changed along the way. His mind is set against Jesus, but it gets changed. He was already a God worshiper. He was zealous for God. He was zealous for the scriptures. In fact, he had memorized the scriptures as we understood Jesus had memorized them. And he was completely obedient. This was Paul's testimony about himself at that time. This is from Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. And this is in the New Living Translation. He's talking about himself and he said, Though I could have confidence in my own efforts, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So Paul was that star of the Pharisees, and uh, he remembered even later in life that he, he, there was nobody who could fault him for being an obedient Pharisee. So Paul encountered a lot of Christians along in his task. He even encountered martyrs who were willing to die for the name of Jesus, but none of them persuaded him to follow Jesus. All those Christians that he went off and found and hauled into court were not able to persuade him. So what happened? How did, Jesus, how did Paul become a follower of Jesus? It was going to take an act of God. It happened one day when Paul was on his way to Damascus. He had those papers I was telling you about. He was going up to Damascus to find the Christians that had gone up there 
Following Stephen's martyrdom, the Christians scattered because there was a lot of persecution. They were scared, so they got out of town, and they traveled far and wide, and including up to Damascus. And Paul decided, you're not going to get away from me. I'm following you. And so he was on his way to Damascus. He was with some companions. I'm sure they were going to help him round up Christians and bring them back. And suddenly, on the road, a brilliant light shone out of heaven. I mean, if you can imagine, it was like a lightning flash that was so powerful. It knocked Paul off of his horse, knocked him to the ground, as well as his companions. And they all saw the light, but only Paul heard that there was a voice in that light. A voice came out of heaven, and Paul was the only one who heard this, who said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Paul, being a good Pharisee, thought, I'm hearing from God. There was no mistaking. This was similar to other appearances and revelations from God in the Old Testament. So Paul knew what he was seeing, and he knew what he was hearing. And so his question is, who are you, Lord? If you're going to speak to me, God, tell me who you are. Give me a name. And the name that was answered was, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Paul was in a dilemma now because this one whom he regarded as a false prophet was revealing himself as God. Jesus then goes on to speak to Paul a little bit more. And it says in Acts 26, 16, I have appeared to you, Paul, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. So Paul now had a testimony. I've seen Jesus. He is God. He spoke to me from heaven in his glory and with power in his voice. So he had a testimony, but Jesus said, I'm going to show you more. There's going to be more. So Paul was going to spend the rest of his life finding out about Jesus and developing the mind of Jesus. So like everyone else who becomes a believer and starts to follow Jesus, you know, you can be converted in an instant. But becoming a follower is a process. And it has to start somewhere, and it has to proceed some way. So Paul decided to take some time off. He went on up to Damascus. He had been blinded by this light he'd seen. And for three days, he was blind. He was in the house of a believer up there in Damascus who probably had been warned that Paul was coming and was intending to arrest believers. This man's name was Ananias, and he was a a faithful man of God. And so when God said, Paul is coming, take him in, Ananias did that. And he found a man who was struck blind by having seen God and a man who was so completely humbled by this experience, he wouldn't even eat or drink anything for three days. And after three days, um, Ananias was able to baptize Paul as a new believer. So Paul now began the process of finding out who Jesus was. And the first thing he did was leave town. And he went east. He went across the Jordan River into what is now northern Jordan. And he began to live there. And he lived there for three years. Now, the area where he was, actually, Bernie and I got to visit that area in June, or in May. We were, we were on a trip to Israel, and we started in Jordan. And that part of the, of the Middle East is very austere. It's desert. It's the most desertest place I've ever seen. Just white sand and dust everywhere, and rock outcroppings and caves. And uh, except for one place that is just stunningly beautiful called Petra. It's some cliffs and canyons that are absolutely stunning. 
Paul went out there because that was where people went who were on a spiritual journey. John the Baptist had been out there for years before he came back to begin preaching Christ. Also out there was a sect called the Essenes. They were a very austere, kind of monastic group that were dedicated to preserving the scriptures. And they met together, they lived together in a communal situation. They had very strict rules of order for themselves. And they, their days were spent in copying the scriptures and preserving them. In the 20th century, those scriptures were discovered in caves, and they are the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, Paul, that's where Paul was. You know, at one point, he probably walked through Petra the way we did. He walked through that desert. So for three years, Paul was out there. What was he doing? He was considering the scriptures that he knew and comparing them now and looking at them again in the light of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is God, what do these scriptures say about him? So for three years, Paul uh, was alone. He came back to Damascus at the end of those three years ready to preach. And he did that. He, he stor- took the city by storm. In fact, he ca- caused such a commotion preaching Christ in Damascus that uh, the king of the area there uh, ordered that he be uh, arrested and killed. Tables had turned. Now Paul was a Christian that was being pursued. So they actually sneaked him out of town, put him in a basket, lowered him through the wall down in the middle of the night, and he took off and left Damascus behind and went down to Jerusalem. He went down to Jerusalem because he was ready now to talk, about, talk to the people who had known Jesus. He knew what he had learned. He knew what he had seen. But he wanted to talk to the people who had walked with Jesus in his lifetime. So he goes to Jerusalem. And uh, when he gets there, the believers run away from him. They're terrified of him because he's had this reputation for killing believers so uh, he continues to preach, and finally the believers send one man to talk to Paul and find out whether he's for real or not, and this man's name is Barnabas. Barnabas is this wonderful character. He has a, a loving heart, apparently a good sense of humor. He's a great listener, and he's really, he really loves Jesus, and he's wise. So he's able to test a guy like Paul and find out whether he's for real, and he finds out that he is. So um, Barnabas brings him back to the other apostles and says, hey, this guy is for real. He really did see Jesus. He understands the gospel. And so they say, fine, you can stay here in Jerusalem. But Paul's preaching once again gets him in trouble, and there are people who want to kill him because he's just so out there preaching Christ and challenging the status quo. Uh, to the point where the, uh, a group of people come together that want to kill him, and uh, his Christian brothers in Jerusalem say, hey, Paul, it's time for us to cool you down a little bit. They take him to the coast, put him on a ship, and he goes back to Tarsus. He's there for 10 years. That was probably a really testing time for, Tarsus, uh, for Paul. When he came back to Tarsus, he was this golden boy who'd been sent to Jerusalem, who had risen through the ranks of the Pharisees and now comes back as a believer in Jesus. That would have been a huge disappointment to his family, first of all. His rising star apparently has fallen to the ground. It was also a tremendous problem for the synagogue, where he would have gone and worshipped in Tarsus, which was his hometown. Um, Paul would have come in and preached Christ. And Paul would have been disciplined for that. Later in his testimony in Acts, he, well, and actually in Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about his experiences as a follower of Jesus, and he refers to five times he was flogged. 
he received the 40 lashes minus one. Apparently, that was one of the ways that the synagogue rulers would use to discipline somebody who was being unruly and who was, who was teaching blasphemy or heresy. And so since in all of the stories of the journeys of Paul, we don't see him being flogged that way, it's probable that it was while he was in Tarsus that he was in conflict with the leaders of the community and maybe of his own family, and they were disciplining him. Talk about being tested in your faith. He went back there with no brothers and sisters to support him that we know of, and he simply humbled himself and accepted the discipline of the Lord. He also changed professions and became a tent maker. So now from then on, he was, he always would have, you know, once a Pharisee, always a Pharisee, but now he was also known as a tent maker. So while Paul was in Tarsus, the church was having a a peaceful time. It says in Acts that for a period of time, probably those 10 years, the church was at peace and expanding. Believers were going everywhere preaching Christ, including they went way up into Syria, and in northern Syria, they planted what became a church. It was in the town of Antioch. They did uh, so well up there. So many people were coming to Christ that once again, the believers in Jerusalem decided to send Barnabas to check it out. So they sent him up to see, is this church for real? Are they following the true gospel? Are they real Jesus followers? And he went up and found out that they were. And he stayed there for a year. And he preached to them, and he taught them classes, and uh, the church grew and grew to the point where Paul, uh, Barnabas began to think, I need some help here. Not far to the west was Tarsus. Barnabas remembered Paul. He remembered Paul's testimony. He remembered checking Paul out on the scriptures. And he thought, here's a man who might be able to help me. So he went to Tarsus and found Paul, who had been living in obscurity for 10 years. And he said, Paul, will you come and help me? And they went back to Antioch. They had a hugely successful ministry there. They were so successful in training the leaders of that church that after another year had gone by, the leaders of the church were ready to say, we can handle this now. We are trained. We've, we've got pastors. We've got rulers in the church. We can handle this. And at that time, the Holy Spirit spoke to the leaders of the church in Antioch, not to Paul and Barnabas, but to the leaders of the church in Antioch because the Holy Spirit had now, now had mature believers to work through. And he said, I want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas and send them where I will lead them. This is not the first time in Scripture that the Holy Spirit says, I'm setting you apart. You're going to go where I lead you without saying where. (laughs) You're just going to go. He said that to Abraham. He said that to Moses. He said that to David. And uh, and now the Holy Spirit is saying that to Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas went out to be missionaries. And Paul began to learn about life by doing If you will remember earlier in uh, Paul's teaching and preaching, he had really annoyed people. He had provoked people. Later, when he's out on these journeys and he's meeting people in the churches, he writes, in one of his letters, he writes a beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we see Paul has learned, if I preach, even if I have the tongue of an angel, if I preach without love, I'm like a loud gong or a a clanging cymbal. 
We see how Paul was refined in his time out there in the mission field, working with people and uh, finding out about um, how to bring the gospel to people in a way that is effective and could only be done through love. People don't listen to words without love. So while Paul was out there, he began to do the practices that Jesus had practiced. Um, He began to study the scriptures the way Jesus did. He looked at the scriptures the way Jesus looked at the scriptures. And he began to pray the way that Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed for people. That That was the bulk of his prayers. He also worshiped God and gave thanks. But most of the time when Jesus prays, he's praying for people. In John 17, 20, he prayed for us. He said, my prayer is not for these alone, the people who were around him at this time, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. So Paul, Jesus was praying for Paul, who was going to be one of those people who would believe in their message. And in Romans 1.9, we see Paul praying for people. In Romans 1.9, he says, God is my witness that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. I tried to find where were Paul's instructions for prayer because he's such a great teacher. He's such a great one to look to to find out how to live the Christian life. I couldn't find any specific teaching on prayer by Paul, but what I found was a lot of prayers that he prayed. About 15 times in Scripture, he mentions praying, and in other places he actually records his prayers. So Paul encourages us to pray by doing. He says, just Get on your knees and start praying, and you'll learn how to pray. So Paul developed the mind of Christ. He did it after three years alone in the desert and ten years of uh, being disciplined and corrected and and, uh, steadfast and uh, deeply committed in Tarsus. And then he learned by being out in the mission field. And he did say, finally, I have the mind of Christ. We can have the mind of Christ. So I started thinking, what is the mind of Christ like? Why would I want the mind of Christ? What's contained in the mind of Christ that makes it desirable? Well, first of all, on the last night of his life, Jesus wanted to impart to his disciples who he was and the best that he had to offer. And in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. They were about to face the scariest circumstance ever. And he said, look, I'm full of peace about this. And I want you to have that peace. The mind of Christ is controlled by peace. The mind of Christ is also controlled by what it says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's controlled by love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you get close to Jesus, that's what you're going to experience. Um, Sociologists have have learned that when uh, you have an anxious member in a group, you know, maybe you have a a group in a Bible study or a group in a classroom or something, when there's somebody who's anxious and concerned and worried about stuff and they you know, we, we call them maybe a troublemaker, a person who complains a lot and is critical. Pretty, it's like they're vibrating in the middle of this group, and pretty soon others around them start vibrating, and then after a while the whole group is like, you know, centered upon this person who is so anxious and having such a hard time uh, calming down. But if you bring in a leader who is a calm presence, <clears throat> and that person has the capacity to come next to the anxious ones, <clears throat> excuse me, that calm will begin to spread. 
Jesus is the most calm, peaceful, loving, understanding, patient, and kind person we can ever come close to. When we are anxious and upset, if we come and spend time with him, we'll begin to pick up on his mind, his way of thinking, and we'll become calm ourselves. But the way you do that is to spend time with him. Jesus did that. When Jesus started his ministry, he went and spent 40 days alone in the desert with God. And Satan came out there to try to tempt him to fall, and Jesus resisted that for 40 days. Throughout his life, Jesus would get up early in the morning before everybody else and slip away to be alone. In fact, in one instance, they went to find him and said, everybody's looking for you. Why are you out here by yourself? And he said, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do today because he'd had that time with God. Um, He went up on mountainsides to pray alone. Jesus valued that time alone with God. And Paul did the same thing. We've already seen. He went into the desert for three years. He went to Tarsus for 10 years. Um, Both of these guys, Jesus and Paul, had long stretches on the road traveling with companions where they had time to think. We need to build that into our lives as well. And I've often said, don't do this alone. I want to say, do this alone and don't do this alone. Spend time alone with the Lord, but also spend time with the Lord in the presence of others like you do when you come here to um, the table or when you go to neighborhood group. Because when we're together and Jesus is in our midst, he has the ability to teach all of us and help us teach each other at the same time. So um, Paul was a man who decided he was going to practice the, the life of following Christ until he got it right. And he did set aside time. Paul set goals for what he was going to do in life. Um, He made himself accountable. Paul, who was a man who was pretty much in charge most of his life, made himself accountable. When you read his letters, you'll see that he had traveling companions with him all the time. He asked people to pray for him. Um, he would tell, you, tell them about, I've spent, been spending time with Titus, I'm sending him to you. He'll tell you what we've been thinking. So it's very important to be connected to people and to practice that on a regular basis. <clears throat> here's, here's the last thing I want to share with you. This was Paul's summary of his approach to the spiritual life. Now, in this, you'll see what a tough guy he was, but you'll also see how utterly committed he was to following Christ. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 9, Verses 24 to 27, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I know a lot of people who are really devoted to fitness and make time for the gym every day, or they run, or they go for walks, or whatever it is that will help them be fit. They pay attention to their diet, and they join with other people who are also involved in fitness. Think of doing that as a spiritual person. Think of setting aside the time and making the practice that it takes to become spiritually fit, to set goals, to join with others, and to be encouraged by them. And if you do that, you will discover you have the mind of Christ.
Let me just pray and close here. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this time together. I pray that what um, has come to us this morning will have meaning and purpose. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be concerned about our spiritual fitness so that we might know your mind and be able to serve you as you call us to. Thank you for this time and for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen.